You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to TC Podcasts On The Go. I'm Anatole Mani, Program Director with the Toronto Centre. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Stephen Rothstein. Mr. Rothstein is the Founding Managing Director of the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to accelerate reduction of the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis and other sustainability threats. Stephen explores the most effective strategies to move capital markets towards climate sustainability. Today, our conversation will focus on the impact of changes in the USA climate policy for supervisors and regulators both domestic and international. His profile is available on our website. Welcome, Mr. Rustin, Stephen, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. I appreciate it and appreciate all of the great information you share with this series and the great work of the Toronto Centre. So thanks so much. Great. So I think a lot has changing in the world today. And I know that the relationship between Canada's government and the United States is taking a new form. Uh, But I think the big news is that the United States of America has rejoined the Paris Agreement. What does this mean for U.S. climate policy and for its financial services sectors? Absolutely. And again, thank you for the invitation. It's dramatic. Uh, First, the, the President Biden has said that climate is an all of government initiative. So it's not just our environmental protection agency, it's every agency. And for the financial officials like the Department of Treasury and our regulators like our Federal Reserve and SEC, they're all addressing this in different ways. So it is joining Paris is important. There also is a group, as many of your listeners know, that the central banks have the network for the greening of the financial system. And the U.S. has joined that as well. I think they're number 86 or 87 in that piece of it. Janet Yellen, the Secretary of Treasury, recently announced that she's going to co-head with China a G20 initiative on climate. So we're really looking throughout the government from the president and obviously the environmental agencies. Having Secretary John Kerry in that role is so in the role he's in is important. The work that Janet Yellen is doing, but the regulatory agencies, they're starting their efforts as well. Great. Well, that's good news for everybody, I think. Uh, Moving on, the report entitled Managing Climate Risks in the United States Financial System was the first of its kind effort from a U.S. government entity released in 2020 by the Commodities Future Trading Commission's Market Risk Advisory Committee, or MARC. The CFTC commissioner, Benham, said that beyond their physical devastation, and tragic loss of life and livelihood, escalating weather events also pose significant challenges for the financial system and our ability to sustain long-term economic growth. Uh, 
What what was the significance of this report, and and what does it mean for U.S. regulators? So it's very significant. For a series came out with a report last June talking about the role of regulators, but this report from the Commodity Future Trading Commission is the first one from a government agency and significant in three ways. First, it covers a wide range of areas. There are 53 recommendations in there from question about the price on carbon, which it recommends, to mandatory disclosure, to responsibilities of central bank from stress test and scenario analysis, uh, to targeted industries like municipal bonds and, and auditing the insurance industry. So it's very broad, 53 recommendations. Second is that it came out under the prior administration that uh, we know is not as, I'll say, as active in this area. And third, it was a very diverse group. There were 34 members. Ceres was one of them. So we were very involved in this report. But there were oil companies and there were um, insurance companies and market makers and nonprofits and others. And worked uh, in a very open and honest way. And the final recommendations were 34 to zero. That meant there was a very broad base of support for these things from mandatory disclosure and carbon pricing and others. And that really, that report which came out in September, again, was the first time the U.S. government had to identify that in the, in the federal level. And now, I don't want to say the floodgates have opened, but there's been a lot more momentum. The work of the, and I'll talk about this later, what the work of the Federal Reserve has done, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the CFTC and others, there's a lot of momentum there. So I think it brought urgency and legitimacy to this issue, which, as we all know, you know, while we are in hopefully the final phases of the awful pandemic that Canada, U.S. and other countries have been facing, and it is a nature-based crisis, but as awful as it is affecting all of our lives and livelihoods, there is no vaccine for climate change. And so while we'll be better in terms of the pandemic in the coming months, if we don't address climate change, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Ceres had done a report. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of insight into that? Sure. So last June, Ceres did a report with 50 recommendations and the role of uh, financial regulators. We looked at, uh, in the U.S., unlike many other countries, we have a whole variety of regulatory agencies. So we covered nine federal financial regulatory agencies, the Federal Reserve, the Securities and Exchange Commission, other banking regulatory agencies, and then other agencies that deal with particular areas like the Federal Housing Finance Agency that deals with mortgages and other areas. Then we also looked at state banking and insurance commissions. Again, U.S., unlike many other countries, has a regulatory regime that is divided between the federal government and the states. More of the insurance work is done at the states, more of the banking at the federal level. And so we had, we had 50 recommendations and we went through for each agency why we thought their recommendations were important. It was also important to say that every one of those recommendations, every single one, has been operated by central banks or other regulatory agencies around the world. So we're not recommending new things. We're not recommending things that, in some cases, to be honest, Canada's already done them, that haven't been done by other countries or just by, quote, environmentalists. These are recommendations from central bankers and others. And they range, again, from stress tests, training bank examiners, declaring the climate as a systemic risk. At a time, no federal agency had done that. Since then, several has, and I'm happy to talk about that. Great. Thank you for that insight. 
Let's talk a little bit about the uh, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Canadian and American were quite influential. Mark Carney, our former uh, bank governor and the former governor at the Bank of England and uh, the New York former mayor of Bloomberg were all uh, advocates for this. The task force was created to improve and expand the reporting of climate-related financial information, providing investors with the data and the information needed to understand the risks they might be taking on, and for regulators to better understand and respond to the financial system risks of climate change. Are the task force recommendations being followed by U.S. firms and being encouraged by their regulators or supervisors? Great question. Thank you. Yes. So the the recommendations for TCFD are very important. I think they're being used by over 1,800 companies worldwide. Some countries have obviously mandated them. And there is a lot of discussion in the U.S. So first, what's happening in the U.S. in terms of climate disclosure? Of the Fortune 500, the largest companies, over 80% of those companies have some form of climate disclosure. Some use TCFD, some use another methodology. There's an alphabet soup of, of organizations. Each one is, is good and it adds a lot, but it's not comprehensive. So Ceres and others are recommending that there be mandatory climate disclosure from the Securities and Exchange Commission of the medium and large size companies. And we believe that uh, using TCFD as a model would be very helpful. So we, we support that, but that there has to be that process. The Securities and Exchange Commission just recently opened a, um, a, a, an opportunity for comment, a 90-day comment about what kind of mandatory disclosure people want, what do they think is best, questions about the auditing firms, and a variety of other uh, key areas. So that's an important element to look at. So it is not being used universally, but it's being used by more and more companies. There are other, again, structures in place for voluntary disclosure that are important, but it's not consistent. I'll give you an example of an industry that is using it more and more is the insurance industry and the work that they're doing in that area. Um, And we can talk a little bit about that in, in just a minute. So TCFD is growing, but it's not being used as much. And we want to grow that across industries, both with voluntary work across companies, but then ultimately we believe there needs to be mandatory systems recommended by the Securities and Exchange Commission, as there are in many other countries. You know, and why is mandatory disclosure important? I'll give you an example. The French Central Bank in 2016, they required mandatory disclosure for large financial institutions. Four years later, 2020, they looked at what was the impact and with with disclosure, not divestment requirement, but with disclosure, those financial institutions reduced their loan portfolio to oil and gas by 40%, 23 billion euros. So that's a very important element of what the role of disclosure is. Because we fundamentally believe that TCFD and disclosure, disclosure is key. No one, if you're a banker, if you're a head of a Fortune 500 or any company or a regulator, you can't manage a problem if you can't measure a problem. The free market works, but only works with good information. And so without that disclosure, people don't know what information they're working with and leaves them susceptible to much greater risk. So yes, we think that mandatory disclosure is critical and TCFDA is a great model to build on. Thanks for that. So you mentioned insurance uh, earlier. Uh, I follow the work of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, and their Climate and Resiliency Task Force coordinates the NEIC's domestic and international efforts on climate 
and sustainability issues, including the dialogue amongst regulators, industry, insurance consumers, and other stakeholders. The NAIC has long been engaged in looking for ways to mitigate environmental risks and how to educate consumers to become more resilient, according to Ray Farmer, the director of the uh, South Carolina Department of Insurance and the co-chair of the committee. Helping consumers and local governments find ways to prepare for and mitigate extreme weather is an important role of an insurance commissioner and this task force. What do you think uh, the NEIC and other U.S. regulators, are they doing enough on climate risks? I think none of us are doing enough that as individuals, regulators, businesses, the governments, we all need to do more. That uh, the U.N. said, you know, if we don't make dramatic changes by 2030, that we will have some areas with irreparable harm, you know, just to give a context, you know, in the U.S. And, and many other countries have seen these areas, but in the past 12 months, you know, we've seen 10 times the acres that have burned in the U.S. with fires on the western part. We've seen more named tornadoes, 30, uh, than we've seen in a long time. And not more than a month ago in Texas and some area states, there was freezing that affected businesses. We've had droughts in other areas. So the problems are getting worse. And that means we collectively have to step up. And the climate is one of those things, and other people have said this, that it's if you win slowly, you lose. Because of Mother Nature is doing what Mother Nature wants. We can't stop it. We can be prepared unless we decide to take dramatic changes. And we're seeing some of that. Businesses are doing that. Investors are doing it. We just series involved with an international consortium that between investors in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and other places. Just a uh, few months ago, we signed up investors representing $33 trillion, trillion dollars of assets under management that have agreed to set net zero by 2050. They're going to work on their portfolios. We have uh, the six major banks in the United States have all agreed to do that and are working on plans. So there is a lot of progress being made. And I give the National Association of Insurance Commissioners credit for the work they're doing. They have set up a very senior level task force. They have different work groups, four or five different work groups on hurricanes and storms and disclosure. And they're working hard on those areas. And they did start many years ago a climate disclosure requirement. So there are six states, not NAC, there are six states, but it represents about 70% of the insurance market require insur- the bigger insurance companies to file annual climate disclosures, which Sirius is very involved with, which is great. But those disclosures are not detailed enough. And so, in fact, that they're recommending, and we, the six commissioners, and we fully support it, that they uh, require change to TCFD reporting, speaking of TCFD. Last year, eight insurance companies filed TCFD reports. So that's a good next step. And those are all public They're available on the California Insurance Commissioner website. There have been progress made with the New York, um, it's called the Department of Financial Services, their work there. In the state of Washington, California, there are many states that are doing some great work. But no, the answer is we as society aren't doing enough. Insurance commissioners aren't. Bank commissioners aren't. And NAIC are not doing enough. But I do, having said that, appreciate the work they are doing. They're taking this very seriously and working on it. So there is hope. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I am an incurable optimist. And I, I've seen, you know, climate is an enormous risk, but it's also enormous opportunity. I mean, for banks, you know, the two fastest trades, uh, job creation in the U.S. are solar and wind installers, manufacturers. So there's enormous opportunities. And this is under the prior administration, under this new administration, uh, the Biden administration, we don't know the numbers yet, but there will be investments in infrastructure, investments in EV charging stations, investments in other things. So if you're a business or a bank, there are more and more green investments for you, uh, opportunities. It's also, if you look at the marketplace, the last year more money was invested in ESG investments than ever before by large numbers. And those funds did very well. They did better than the marketplace. If 10 years ago you'd invested in a fund that had the Standard & Poor's, a mixed portfolio with the oil industry or one without the oil industry, you would have done a lot better than one without the oil industry. So that, the, that while climate is a real risk and we have to be prepared for it, it also creates enormous market and business and financial opportunities. We'll return to this podcast after this special announcement. Toronto Centre is thrilled to announce our upcoming executive panel, Transitioning to a Green Economy, Financial Stability Implications, featuring Mark Carney, United Nations Special Envoy for Climate Action and Finance, and Sri Mulyani Indrawati, Minister of Finance of Indonesia. The panel will be held on April 7th. Visit our website, torontocentre.org, or social media accounts to register. We hope you'll join us. We'll return to our podcast now. Thank you. So on the other side, climate risks may also exacerbate financial system vulnerability that have little to do with climate change, including vulnerabilities caused by the pandemic that has stressed balance sheets, strained government budgets, and depleted household wealth. What can U.S. regulators and supervisors do with respect to climate risk through regulatory and supervisory associations to support international financial stability? There is a lot they can do, and we've started to do that. So I, I mentioned earlier the Network for the Greening of the Financial System. So this is a group of central banks that the U.S. Federal Reserve joined in December. Prior to that, it had only been the New York State Department of Financial Service that was a member. So by joining, and I know they're already working on this, there's different um, work streams at NGFS, and the U.S. is participating in those. So U.S. can both learn from others and eventually teach others. It's not at that stage yet, but it can be a collaborative process. There are a variety of other international forums from IOSCO, the International Securities Regulators, IFRS, and others. So U.S. is now participating, I don't want to say in every single one, but in a lot of those and more and more all the time. Again, it's only been uh, less than, you know, roughly two months from the Biden administration. And so there's a lot more there. And what, why is it important? It's important because large companies, large banks, large insurance companies are saying that they want an international standard, that they don't want to have, file one set of climate disclosure in one company and one set in another country. And I think eventually we want to move in that direction. We also want to learn from each other that understanding what the Bank of England, for example, has been doing on stress testing, 
and what the EU is doing on their green taxonomy and what's happening in other places. So I think we can learn from each other. There's a lot of smart people in the central bank world and the regulatory world around the world that the U.S. can learn from. And as, as the U.S. grows, you know, we have a lot, the United States uh, Reserve has literally thousands of economists um, and they're doing some great research now on different elements of climate so that that, that can be helpful. So I think it is important that there is a good coordination at NGFS, at Basel, at, at IESCO and others. And that's the way we're going to solve this because clearly this climate crisis is not, doesn't know country borders and can work from there. You know, we're, we're facing now a particular crisis because of the pandemic and the impact on the economy. So we, it means we have to work even harder together to be serious about this. So I think they can make an important impact there. I also would say, though, it is very important for the U.S. It's important to coordinate with, with international, but not to wait for international. That if it takes time to work these things out, the U.S. needs to have it. We need to have it today. We need to move forward quickly. And then it can be evolved, just like many other things that the U.S. may do or Canada or other countries may do. And then over time, it may be evolved to align internationally. We seem to have a little bit more time, so I'm wondering if I can take advantage of your expertise. And you mentioned going to net zero and, and green investment opportunities. One of the things that uh, I would I would like to hear from you about is the risks of greenwashing and uh, how those may impact on investors or on governments and, and regulators and any thoughts you have there. It's a very serious issue, and I appreciate your asking about it. And that there aren't good standards in the US. Again, there is work that the EU is doing, some other countries are doing on this. And it's very important so, so that a consumer needs to understand when they invest in either a climate fund or an ESG fund or something else, what they're really getting. Uh, so that's part of, it relates back to the earlier comment I was saying about mandatory climate disclosure. That if there is a system, and that it, just like lots of other things, if the, uh, Security and Exchange Commission said, oh, you submit financial reports, but you decide what to do. And one company files a balance sheet, and one an income statement, or one files it in yen and one in Deutschmarks, you won't be able to compare them. So, and that's where we are today with climate, that, that we don't have that comparison. So this consistent area is important. And that would dramatically reduce greenwashing because that is a risk right now in areas. And, it, and it's a risk in two ways. It's a risk from companies that want to be... Um, uh, nefarious or untruthful or whatever you might think about it, who have ill motives. And then there are companies that have the best of intentions, but they just may not understand the science uh, and understand the technology. So I think it is important, as I say, there's more money invested in ESG, but I know these funds have different standards. So what may, quote, be defined as climate in fund A may not be in fund B. And so having uh, mandatory disclosure, that way consumers and investors can make their own decisions. And that's to ensure the confidence in the system. Uh, that's very important. Thanks for that. A lot of the, uh, the information you have provided us with this, this point has been useful for uh, regulators and supervisors and government officials. And, and I applaud your work, series work on this. In the last opportunity, given our audience is uh, largely regulators and supervisors, what advice would you give them specifically or collectively about the potential impact of climate risks uh, 
uh, within their uh, regulatory purviews. Regulators overall, the, your listeners and participants, they do a great job and they, they do such an important job and they ensure the safety and soundness of the financial system. But we believe that risk is risk, uh, whether it be cryptocurrency risk or foreign currency or management or pandemic or climate. And that many regulators still aren't addressing climate as a serious risk. And to put it in context, we know more about the risk of climate today by orders of magnitude than we knew about the housing crisis in 07 08 before the subprime housing. And so just imagine if someone had come to a regulator 18 months ago and said, here's all this data on a pandemic. And a regulator said, oh, I don't care. Or had come in 07 about housing. They, you know, that wouldn't have happened. Well, that's what's happening right now. In some countries, not in all, the regulators are doing a great job and integrating into their risk profile and others are not. And so while climate is unique in the impact of what it does, it is not unique in that every risk is unique and every risk has to be looked at. So we believe that regulators should look at their entire regulatory regime. So in their prudential supervision, in their monetary review, in their uh, bank examination, I'll just give you one example. How many of your listeners, most I am assuming, have uh, uh, examiners that go out to examine banks? How many of those examiners have been trained what questions to ask for in climate risk? So they know. I'm not say- It's not all the same answer, but they should at least be trained, just like they should be trained on cryptocurrency and other kinds of things. Stress tests. I think we need to have stress tests to address climate. Banks are great at thinking about risk when they have information. But if there are two loans and one is more risky, that loan should be charged more. Well, but if they don't know that one's more risky for climate, we did a study, for example, of the top, say, two dozen banks in the United States. And we looked at a portion of their loan portfolio, just their syndicated loan portfolio. So it's not their entire loan portfolio. We identified using the same methodology that the European Central Bank uses, the same methodology, we identified over half a trillion dollars, over $500 billion of loans that could be at risk based on transition, based in, you know, if there is a dramatic inflation or recession or price on carbon or another pandemic or something else. So there is real risk built into the bank portfolios today that aren't being addressed. So we believe that regulators, I congratulate those that are looking at seriously and hope that others go deeper and think of this as looking at everything you do and looking at risk. It's also important, if I can just add a point, about underserved communities that, uh, I'll just take the United States, for example, that uh, we have a, a sad history of what's called redlining, of not serving people from brown and black communities as much, uh, which led to institutional racism that's carried on generation after generation. Well, if you look today, a lot of those same communities are communities that are much more susceptible to climate risk. They have more plants in their area. They're closer to rivers. They're less able to sustain changes. So it is important from a societal perspective as well to try to meet those needs and to ensure full employment in those areas. So it is critical, again, to think about risk is risk and climate is one of those for all society. And then to think about vulnerable communities as part of that. Thank you. That was insightful. And um, 
just to mention that uh, the Toronto Centre has uh, developed and delivered climate risk programs covering climate change, extreme weather risk, green finance, and other environmental risks that may be impacting the world's financial systems. We're happy to discuss any opportunity to develop such a program for jurisdictions, uh, authorities, and agencies that are listening today. You've done a great job of covering the landscape, uh, both from a a U.S. perspective and uh, a general perspective on climate risk. Any closing thoughts uh, for our audience? I guess first is to thank you personally and the Toronto Centre again, that you all do such important work, not, I mean, in climate, but on so many issues. And it's, it's a, Toronto Centre is a real gem, is a real resource for uh, central banks and others. So first to thank you for your work. Uh, it's so important. Information is important. And just on that theme, we hope that everyone shares what they're doing on climate. For example, since last June, when I started tracking this, we've noticed 337 major speeches or reports on climate from central bankers, from other regulators, from, from constituents, from bankers. So there's a lot of information out there but we hope to learn more. And that I hope that everyone who's listening uh, will reach out. Again, Stephen Rothstein at Ceres. My email is srothstein at Ceres, C-E-R-E-S dot org. And we'd like to be a resource that each of you play such critical roles, not just in the safety and soundness of your banks and financial institutions, insurance companies, but in the safety and soundness of your economy. That if, you know, if there are fires and floods, the businesses aren't going to last. I mean, there's a study just in the U.S., for example, that the U.S. alone will have tens of millions of climate migrants, tens of millions of climate migrants from within the U.S. who can't live or work where they are, and that number worldwide is hundreds. We could have the largest refugee situation in the world over the next decades because of climate uh, if we don't, and that will affect all of our respective countries' economies and market stability. So sharing information and and getting on it right away. So again, I want to end by thanking you and thanking all of the listeners. Thank you, uh, Stephen. I appreciate it very much. I'm here uh, today in Toronto, Canada, speaking with Mr. Stephen Rothstein, Managing Director of Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. And you've been listening to Toronto Centre Podcast On The Go. Thanks for joining us. 